Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insights with other leaders, others they want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as in every week, I'm here with my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hey there. Hey, guys. So, another week? I would like to say happy anniversary to you and your wife. Yes, we... Well, we, we today we celebrate two anniversaries because... Two? anniversary but we are celebrating our 50th episode Woohoo! Woo <laughs> big five zero nice yep that's retirement age is this our last episode whoa oh. definitely you're definitely canadian <laughs> <laughs> no like to, to retire at 50 in america takes an act of god a windfall a lot or the lottery <laughs> i see well, the lottery, you will lose all your money very quick. So Statistically, that's true, right? Statistically, you're significantly more likely to be bankrupt and dead. <laughs> nice. So we were talking about an interesting topic before this all started, right? Um, be interesting to see to see how this goes. And it's and it's kind of the the you know, we're in the holiday season. We're in the gaming season, right? We had two new two new consoles drop worldwide, the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X. I don't know if you guys have tried to get your hands on either one of those lovely, joyful machines. They're, nope. they're not <laughs> Barely anyone. Somebody told me that it's over $1,000 to get one of them. What? I don't have that kind of disposable income. Well, it'd be like seven thousand in Canadian dollars. <laughs> it, I think we're gonna call those maple bucks in U.S. dollars or freedom dollars. Is that is that I think that's how it works? It would be perfectly reasonable if I earned U.S. dollars and spent Canadian <laughs> dollars, but I in fact earn Canadian dollars and spend Canadian dollars. <laughs> hey, at least you earn Canadian dollars and don't spend U.S. dollars. That would yeah. be even worse. <laughs> that it would be torturous. Um, but yeah, so so there were a few interesting kind of kind of things, right? The the new Xbox and the PlayStation both released and the dropped in the same week, which is a very interesting thing. I think uh, the way it worked out was Sony announced their release date, and then two days later, uh, Microsoft announced their release date, which surprise surprise was the <laughs> same week, a few days earlier. Um, but then. They claimed due to COVID-19, both of them announced neither console would be available in stores. Wow. And I found that to be really interesting, right? The only way to get them is to order them on online for in-store pickup or for delivery. And of course, anyone want to take a guess at what immediately happened? They oversold it? No, the bots won. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, because it's really easy to set up a bot to scrape a web page, look for the change, and then click the button. So as soon as they come, they come into stock, the bots order it. Now, both, now, like every retail site has now announced anti-bot measures that don't work. Really? Yeah. So, so you, can get, you can absolutely get lucky, and people have, have got lucky. I myself was very lucky. Um, but for the most part, um, you know, there'll be a new drop on a bi-weekly basis and the bots end up walking away with most of them. And if you've looked at eBay, the cheap consoles are going for $1,000 US. Yeah, yeah. The wow. cheap consoles are going for $1,000 US. Right? I think the most expensive PS5 so far sold for in the four dollars to $5,000 range. Wow. 
nothing special about it. It's just the PS5. But but it's interesting kind of how they've how the the console manufacturers and retail have decided to, to deal with this, right? What what the the kind of public announcement was they're trying to avoid people standing in line. Right? The theory being um, you know, we want fewer people to congregate at stores. So we don't want people constantly going in the store, exposing themselves to COVID-19, trying to get their hands on a console. The truth is, I don't think that's the reality at all. Right? Nothing is actually better by having zero in-store stock. So I'm curious kind of what the reality of the situation is. Is it simply easier to centrally warehouse them? So if you think from a marketing standpoint, if you have a central place where you ship stuff or that you can control the inventory, then think about Amazon. When Amazon, they can ship you a product from anywhere and you don't know where it's coming from. It's coming from one of their warehouse. So Costco is doing the same thing. And, and if you have a lot of them, and let's say that you, you have them in Hawaii, to ship them from Hawaii to here, it's going to be more difficult than if you just have them on a central warehouse that you can just ship them. Kind of, right? But at the same time, um, most of the retail outlets don't have one warehouse. They have 100 warehouses. And even the big box stores are using local stores as warehouses. Even GameStop. When you order like used games on GameStop's website, they don't keep them in a big warehouse. They issue the order to the various stores that have stock hmm. in the least number of stores and then ship you the least number of shipments, right? So. Um, they had a, they had big Black Friday sales, kind of like everybody else on used games. So I ordered a bunch of used games, and they came from two different stores. Right? I mean, <clears throat> at this point, just in time logistics, a little a little bit of data analytics and 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 kind of remote warehousing gives you the ability to use every single store stock as warehouse, and the stores do. Right? Um, I've had things delivered from Best Buy that simply came from another local store. Because that was easier. Their same day, Best Buy same day shipping is available on things that are in the store. An employee or a courier service picks it up and delivers it to your house. Right. A third party does it. Right. Uh, In some cases, it's single party, right? In some cases, it's a Best Buy employee that is assigned to do that duty that drives it in a Geek Squad van because they have the vehicles. Why not use them? Yeah, that's true. They have the assets. They're probably not doing a lot of Geek Squad home visits. (laughs) Right. So then, if we look at that inventory and we're here as tech leaders, should there be something that they should be publicizing through social media so they can connect with the people and let them know like, Hey, we're having something special. And can we learn about that for other it areas? Because all these consoles are computers. So they're just technology. Integrate and there's probably a CTO, there's probably a CIO thinking about everything that is happening behind to be able to provide that experience for the user. So, so I think the question becomes, right, what's the value of social media as it relates to, to kind of business, whether that's uh, the business itself or you as a professional? I, I will say so. So I, I think there's like the three aspects, right? Social media was never created to be a channel for business, but ultimately business goes where the people are. Mm-hmm. And if one thing's, if we've learned one thing in 2020, the people are on Facebook, the people are on Instagram, the people are on social media. 
right? I, I don't know about you guys, but I've seen a tremendous increase in LinkedIn traffic since social, since uh, COVID has started. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, not only do people need to find jobs, but there's a lot more communication that's going through that channel. And what what was a communication now is an influencing channel, right? It was just about sending out information, inviting you to content and context, but now it's uh, finding the appropriate segments and influencing those segments to buy and or try uh, your offerings or your wares, right? It's, it's determining who's more likely to buy from you and then double clicking and micro uh, communicating directly to them, right? To say, here's what's interesting to doctors. Here's what's interesting to postal workers. Here's what's interesting to, to, to single family versus multifamily homesteads in rural or, or urban settings, right? They're, they're double clicking on a whole bunch of sort of micro segmentation that they can figure out how to sell products to. And they're actually even adding some of the features from the other networks. So they're, they're releasing slowly the live functionality for certain accounts to allow that communication. You mentioned right. to bring that connection. Yeah, I find, I find LinkedIn interesting. And, and Paul, you and I have a very different approach to, to our, to our social media in general and, and LinkedIn and kind of, kind of the whole gamut, um, to different levels of effectiveness, right? Um, so for me, I have a mix. I have, I have like, like Instagram and Facebook are both, both personal. I have a personal Twitter, although I don't really tweet a whole heck of a lot. And then LinkedIn is professional. So, and you don't share content between the two? Not, not generally. No, no. it's, it's very, very rare that I share content between the two. Uh, in reality, my Facebook is a, a lot of my Facebook is political. Right. Right. Um, I, I try, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep people aware of kind of some of the things that are going on. I don't really use Facebook for much else. Um, and I don't use Facebook a whole lot, especially in the last like 10 months, my Facebook traffic has dropped to near zero. Like I'll hop in, I'll drop, I'll drop a piece and like a link to a news article. And then I, then I leave. It's just a little too, it's become a little too toxic lately. And you did spend a good portion of last year in your Western European neoclassicism uh, literature, and that was just getting too boring. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have a different take. Like I 100% of my social is professional, and I share content across all of those channels. It's the same content. I share it at the exact same time. Uh, I don't use a single tool to do it, but I ensure that content that gets produced and has my name on it is associated with the content that I show. On the rare occasion, would I share other content, other interesting news and other interesting sort of technologies perspective from other people um, and, and or I will share within my network. But it's vast majority of it is about uh, to creating content for and with the profile. It's about creating a uh, sort of a persona, a professional persona that I maintain on a consistent basis. And I provide no personal opinion I provide nothing outside of a professional perspective, uh, and I maintain that pretty strictly. It's interesting because we, we, you can have a mixture. So I think the question come, should a tech leader have a strong or at least a presence in social media? 
as a tech leader, as a leader for IT? I think as a leader, period, you should have a very strong tech presence. If your name's ever going to be announced for anything on social media and you have no social media, to me, that's a red flag. Right. Right. If, if I can't, if, if a company says, hey, we have a new CEO and you look for that CEO's social media presence and you find nothing, that in, in today's day and age, that is a huge red flag. Why does this person have no opinion on anything at all for any reason? Right. Like that seems bizarre. Um, also, I, I have to say, social media is a tremendous tool when used as a tool. And to ignore the tool, I think, does yourself a, a huge disservice. Right? LinkedIn, for nothing, if for nothing else than finding another job, I don't think there's a better tool today than LinkedIn. The content is just as bad as no content. Like if there's a five-year gap between your last production of information and today that's just as much of a problem right and i'm not saying you need a uh, a thrice daily content submission you need to do you know a personal video every day uh but active on a weekly basis to show that you exist interacting with your peers and interacting with your community especially if you have a relatively big like uh, you know mine's measured in ten thousand and in LinkedIn, LinkedIn and several thousand in Twitter, right? If, if I'm incredibly silent, some people would actually let me know that that's a problem. And then on the reverse side, if I was posting on a minute by minute basis, they'd also let me know that that's a problem. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think what you need to do is establish some sort of pattern, right? Even weekly could be too long for some, I would say, you know, uh, monthly would be a good, a good cadence or every other month is a fine cadence. As long as you really have a focus on does the content that I'm adding have value? Is it additive or reductive, right? Or simply passive, right? Um, am I creating a voice? Do, if someone were to look at my content over time, do they see a voice emerge? Do they see a personality emerge? Do they see something of value emerge? Or am I simply shuffling the deck, the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Am I moving content around, trying to have a presence and not actually creating a voice? I think, I think there's a big difference between those two things. That's and correct. If you then share, let's say that Paul created an article. He's a thought leader. Should other leaders share his content? Is that also a good use of your social media so you can share because then you share what you found interesting. I would say absolutely. Um, I think it's silly to, to never like content should be a mix of shared content, um, content that you posted, didn't create, right. But found elsewhere. It doesn't come from whatever that source, the, the, the particular social media source and created content. It should be a mix of all three things and created content. Doesn't mean you have to write it start by writing a 12 page article. Right. Start by just simply have developing an opinion on a topic and posting that opinion. Right. Most of my content contains nothing external. There's no click. There's no link. It's simply my words of the day. Um, and it's about a hundred words max. Right. I try to keep it small. Ideally, if I have an opinion and can get it down under, you know, so you don't have to click the more button to read more. 
That's really what I aim for. Secondary would be clicking more. Third would be a link. And if it's a link, make sure that there's a picture. Right. Uh, also, interactivity is important. So commenting is just as important as original content. Uh, it's not just forwarding the content, not just liking it, but actually providing a, a, an opinion that is uh, either uh, positively structured or critical of the content itself. Yeah, and it, yeah, and that's that's a really important thing too, right? You can't yeah. just be a yes a yes person, right? You can't just constantly go, "This is fantastic, this is fantastic." Try to provide a counterpoint from time to time. Try to provide a counter argument from time to time, right? Social media is really built to be an echo chamber and built to reflect that echo chamber. And one of the things that people need to see and need to hear, um, and really quickly helps to establish your voice is. To, to have a voice and a voice sometimes means you're the person being the counterpoint, being the counter argument, right? Mm -hmm. And you can be counter in a reply, you can be counter in a share and you can be counter in the very thing that you post, right? You could post a link to an article and take a counterpoint in your posting. Um, just know that most people won't read it. Most people are gonna click the article, if that, or read the headline to the article. Um, NC themes, like I've, I've gone through a series of uh, conversations, interviews over the last several clear that they, you know, went through the profile and found some certain themes. Like I've had questions on, tell me about this Disney obsession you have, or they would ask, uh, you had an interesting perspective on shadow IT that I didn't have. Can you explain that more? Or you've talked a lot about the pandemic. Uh, has your uh, thoughts changed since uh, six months ago when you posted that original? Yeah. And those are actual questions that have come up in interviews. This isn't just a superficial thing. People are looking at it, reading it, sensing themes, actually have questions about it. So then we look at the social aspect of an individual, but we work for companies. Mm -hmm. As leaders, let's, let's start with, should then a company have a social media presence that is not just product focus? That is not just, here's my product, come and buy it. Uh, I mean, social should never be, here's my product, come, come on and buy it, right? That's what ads are for, not what social media is for. Not ever, not one time. Right. Right, social media is about personalizing your company, personalizing you as an individual or personalizing your company, right? So if a company has social media, then the company's social media needs to be showing that there are people behind it, showing its purpose, showing its strategy, showing its, its how, how its day-to-day -day activity backs up its mission statement, backs up its value statement, right? Um, and, and you do that in a thousand ways. Um, you can post a picture a behind the scenes picture of the video that was just launched. You can post, right? You, there's a thousand different little things you can do, right? And, and absolutely, if you do outreach, if you do charitable works, if your employees do, make sure that stuff gets on social. But the same rules apply, right? Make sure that it's additive, make sure that it establishes a voice and, and dear God, make sure that it's consistent. If, if a company posts 36 different entries in three weeks, and then goes dormant for two years and then starts posting again, you might as well not have social. Matter of <laughs> right. fact, it would, be, it would be a negative rather than a positive. 
I, I, I agree with Howard. The best use of corporate social is to promote thought leadership within your organization. And not just your sort of marketing thought leadership, but your actual thought leaders. Right? So if you have several dozen of those, you should be spending a good portion of your time letting that be a forum for, for publishing that content um, and commenting on that content and providing others to comment on that content um, and creating a community out of people that you want to have listen to them. And that way your community is not just you, the corporation, but it's you, the individual 25 people. Uh, right, because people want, people want to know an individual person and come to their session and read their content and, and subscribe to a webinar to which they're presenting or subscribe to a blog or webinar to which you're presenting. Like those are important things and you wanna really push that, that leadership. So thinking about the conferences that we have attended across the years, we probably have seen that they are what we can consider competitors presenting at those same conferences. Example, you probably went to a Microsoft conference that there was a Red Hat or there was an AWS or something like that. Should a company in social, if they see something that may be good, should they share someone else's content in their feed as a company? We already talked about as a leader, but as a company, what do you think about that? I actually think social should be non-competitive. Hmm. Right? Um, I, I think, and I think um, it should be non-competitive, period. There, there's no comma. As in, it shouldn't be, um, hey, here's a neat thing that Amazon's doing. By the way, we've been doing this for three years this way. Right? It should simply be, <clears throat> here's a neat thing Amazon's doing. Here's a neat thing Microsoft's doing. Here's a neat thing this startup is doing. Right? Because ultimately, it's still about establishing your voice and you having an opinion on the topic matters or don't post it. And, and social really is the wrong place for competitive. Right? Right. It's the wrong place for kind of passive aggressive competitiveness, which I see a lot. Right. Oh, it's nice to see they're getting recognized for this. We've we've been doing this for years. Mm, leave the we've been doing this for years. It's right. been it's nice to see they're recognized for this. The fact is, if you say um, it's nice to see they're recognized for their new database, um, and you've been doing databases, then anyone that clicks on it is likely to see, hey, this is someone who's an authority in databases commenting, hey, you know, welcome to the club. Yeah. Right. Don't funny. need this night comment. Unless it's funny, like when Wendy's and Burger King are tweeting at each other, not that that's worthwhile. Uh, yeah, if you can make it tongue in cheek, by all means, <laughs> by all means, feel free to add snarky humor. But entirely too often, what people think is snarky humor is just passive aggressive. And passive <laughs> right. aggressiveness is a turn off, not a turn on. It's a turn right. off every single time. So really, um, the chances are you aren't Wendy's. And if you're not Wendy's, maybe don't try to be Wendy's. <laughs> right. And it's not an attempt to be competitive. It's just an attempt to be funny. Like with the longer the days when, you know, you, you came out of university, you went to IBM and you stayed at IBM. That's just not how it works anymore. The likelihood that people who are your thought leaders are now go to somewhere else and those somewhere else come back to you or they, they come back to you from having been in five different organizations. Uh, so you have to promote the individual people. Their opinions are interesting, though their opinions matter regardless of where, where they work. 
um, and you want to have a, a critical objective perspective on that and provide that when you when you're socializing so you know, i think we've talked before um better better leaders better people aren't better by bringing everyone else down right right they're better by by elevating everyone else right right they're better simply by being better and challenging everyone else to do the same right. and i think the same rule applies here right um you compete by simply being better so do that compete by being better right have a better product have better marketing have better sales have better solutions right and have better social right so one question that then we should then think about or or, or an idea is should those social skills be part or develop or encourage for the tech leaders and his direct reports should social skills meaning understanding how social works how to promote different things should that be something that should be part of our skills that the leaders should look and probably encourage their people Sure, and should still be part of the onboarding process. It's almost like it should be an expectation, right? So when you come upon here, we expect you to have these four channels and publish in this kind of frequency, um, and we'll make available this kind of content, and we want to publish, you want to publish your own original content in this kind of frequency. Like that should be part of the program of onboarding any IT leader, in fact, arguably any IT uh, staff member within the organization. I, I, I agree to some percentage, right? I think um, the higher up in the organization, just like we talked before, right? Where the higher in the organization, the more strategic and the less tactical you become. Right. I think the higher up in the organization, the more valuable soft skills become. Right. And the, the, the challenge with it is, is incredibly high. First, it's very, very hard to grade soft skills if you lack them yourself. Mm. And second, it's very hard to grade soft skills in an interview period because you cannot be objective about soft skills. It's a hundred percent subjective. Right. Right. I think that person presents well is the reality. Not that person presents well because you can't be objective. You could right. be go, no go. Sure. Right. You can establish a minimum bar and say this person passed the minimum bar. But if I take all the people that pass the minimum bar, can I say, can I give them a hundred point scale and be objective about it? No, I'm completely subjective, right? But I also think it gets ignored a lot, right? A CTO that's not good at public speaking probably either shouldn't be the CTO or needs someone that's a direct report that's very good at public speaking, right? right? Think of it as teams, not individuals. I don't need an individual that's a master at everything. I need a complete team that can, that as a team can provide a, a complete picture, right? And I don't think we do a very good job of selling that. And I really don't think we do a very good job of looking for uh, soft skills, looking for kind of the social aspect. Hmm. Um, you know, frankly, if you're, if you're in a sales organization and the great majority of your people cannot present, then one, you shouldn't have them presenting and two, you really should start looking for some people who can present, who can display content. They don't have to create it. They just have to be able to work with those who create it 
to really show it off. The right. difference is enormous. Right. Well, the only reason why I suggested that the staff should also have that part of their process is because eventually they'll have different roles, right? They'll move on to different organizations. They'll grow up in, the, in this existing organization. They might even take management roles or executive roles. So doing the practice now probably helps them when they get uh, in the future when and they've sure. Sure, I agree, but it's um, it's build versus buy, right? If I'm right. if I'm hiring a senior executive, I want them to, I want I'm buying, sure. in yeah. which case I want, that's part of the buy package. Yeah. Um, but but with the staff I currently have, should I be building it? Absolutely, right, right. But but it also means I'm building it, and so it's an inv it needs to be an investment on on the part of the company. Just simply establishing an expectation doesn't solve anything. Right, you're not really going to get anywhere. Um, and so maybe think about. How do we create a program that teaches people how to how to get some value from social? How do we provide tools that make it easy? And there's a, a million tools today for managing social, right? Um, how do I ensure that that the employees know about the content? And if I were to set a KPI, how do I set a reasonable KPI about something that likely the employees don't care about and don't see a direct um, some direct response to, right? Like, right. like, like I can easily say there's a KPI around revenue generation, right? But how do I attach a similar KPI to social where the revenue generation is far more, far more forward-looking? Right. Right. And so, you know, what does that look like? What should it look like? What should the expectation be? Is it a hard expectation or a soft expectation? As in, do I grade and take action against it? Hard expectation. Is it a soft expectation? As in, I'm going to look at it, but there's no actual grade or or action set on it. Yeah, that that's I don't think we're at a point where we can do that unless your job is, in fact, social, right? Unless your job is to create clicks and create mentions and create. Uh, sure. Yeah. In which case it's a soft KPI, but I think not establishing a KPI is the same as not having a policy. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Right, I think not training is is worse than having a policy. Right, um, right. so I think I think the way to do it is really start from the top down. Right, and and to use waterfall as the the kind of the kind of term here, um, you know, <laughs> start training from the top down. Right, what should your social presence look like? And when you're talking at the sea level. Every single person on the sea level should have a different, you know, a different look, a different output. Hire a consultant, right? Uh, have a brand manager. I'm sure you have a social team, right? And and frankly, if you're listening to this now and you're in IT and you have no social, reach out to your company's social team and say, hey, this is something that I'm going to start doing. I'd like to start doing it on the right foot. You seem to be the experts at it. That's what we've hired you for. Can you help? Don't right. make a demand because it's probably not their job to help you. Instead say, can you help? Can you give me some tips? Can you give me some tricks? Can you help me get this set up? Can you take a look at my profile? Whatever whatever makes logical sense, right? And then post content. Yep. And, and I would also say recognize that political doesn't go on LinkedIn. <laughs> right. No political, right. no religious, no. Correct. <laughs> Unless you're a politician, then right. the political is okay on LinkedIn. If right. your job is to be a politician, if your job is clergy, religion <laughs> right. is fine. Clear. Right? But but it is specifically, LinkedIn is specifically a professional network and really needs to be retained as a professional network. Yeah. <laughs> you have seen the conversation. One of the most important things is get 
in the conversation. Social is about conversation. And as a leader, you want to have conversations with other leaders so then you can influence them. And also you probably can get influenced and you can learn from them. So as always, make sure that you subscribe, you share with your teams because we want to grow as leaders so we can impact this world and our companies can grow and be better. My friends, we'll see you on our next episode.